Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome. This is, in fact, the third occasion that we are, are commemorating or celebrating Commonwealth Day. We've done it twice before. Last year we did it in Trinity, and the year before that we were here. Our guest speaker today is Mary Kenny, and I want to warmly welcome her, thank her for coming. She's come over from England especially to talk to us. I'm told I must ask you all to turn off your mobile phones if you, if you have one. Um, Bruce Arnold has very kindly agreed to introduce Mary. And after, I think what we'll do is just open to the floor and people can ask questions, uh, have a little bit of a discussion, debate, whatever. And then we'll go next door where we have tea, coffee, juice, sandwiches, light, a light lunch. And hopefully we can, we can all mingle there. Just to mention to you, the theme for Commonwealth Day in 54 countries around the world, 32 republics, is <coughs> opportunity through enterprise, unlocking potential with innovation and excellence. And I think that fits in quite nicely with what the present government is trying to emphasize to get the economy revived, going again, whatever. So that's, that's important, I think. So I won't say any more. I'll hand over to Bruce. And thank you again very much, Bruce, for coming to talk to us. I wasn't aware of the theme for Commonwealth Day, so I don't refer to it, I'm afraid. Um, I was outlining my week to a friend. I said it started with Commonwealth Day, the only celebration in Dublin organised by the reform movement and addressed, as you see, by Mary Kenny. When I said to a friend I would be introducing Mary Kenny, he replied, she doesn't need much introduction. <laughs> Good, I said, then I'll be able to talk about myself. <laughs> Before I say a few words on that subject, I want to welcome Mary uh, she, she's been a friend since the 1960s. I worked for her when she was woman's editor of the Irish press in the early 1970s. She was a founder member, as I'm sure you know, of the Irish women's liberation movement, arguably its leader, though it did not go in for official titles. She took a brave line against the Catholic Church, walking out of Haddington Road branch when the Archbishop of Dublin's pastoral was read out from the pulpit. The pastoral said any contraceptive act is always wrong. Mary said that was church dictatorship. And yes, she was on the contraceptive train from Dublin to Belfast to buy condoms when they were illegal down here. My wife was a founder member of another women's group, the Women's Political Association, effective in getting women elected to the Dáil and part of a small army of women who worked to change women's lives, rights and opportunities. Mavis and Mary became lifelong friends. I should say the three of us did, since Mary had for some years been a working colleague of mine in the Irish Independent. We compare notes. We growl about the life of journalists, although both of us are dyed-in-the-wool practitioners. We regularly share a page on a Monday, and when we meet, not regularly enough, the experience is always enriching. Mary Kenny has written better than anyone else I know on the subject at the heart of the Commonwealth problem, Queen Elizabeth and Ireland. 
This was in her book, Crown and Shamrock, Love and Hate Between Ireland and the British Monarchy. I recommend it to all of you. I don't know the Queen's mind on the future of herself and the Commonwealth. She is head of the Commonwealth and sees this, I suspect, as a wider expression of her lifelong dedication to the service of the British people. And maybe that is a sticking point for the Irish. It seems to be a problem when membership is debated. She is serious about the oath she made at her coronation, a lifelong pledge of duty to the British, to Britain. It was one of the occasions when I saw her and cheered for her. I was a schoolboy standing outside the Ritz Hotel in the pouring rain. I think that the Irish should get over their hesitation about being part of the Commonwealth. I use the word in its material and economic meaning for the following reasons. In a real sense, we are part of the shared wealth. Recently, David McWilliams, another colleague I know and admire, wrote of seeing four young Cork lads in a cafe near Bank Station in the heart of the city of London's financial district. They were part of the newest wave of Irish people, full of energy and talent, welcomed to London and provided with a living when earning a living back at home was impossible. And David pointed out what most Irish families know, that there are more British people with one Irish grandmother than there are Irish people with grandparents. What he, want, what he went on to say about the closeness of Ireland and Britain at a number of levels might be seen by others as a good reason for not joining the Commonwealth. I belong to those who think otherwise. We are very close to Britain, both the country and its people. We are inside each other's hearts and minds, like it or not. We are part of a privileged Anglo-Irish world with all sorts of ties between our two countries. There is a sporting fraternity, there are family relationships, trade, property, ownership. For generations, Irish people have gone to Britain and have become part of the different social systems that accompany the business and pleasure of living there. A fewer number of British people, though more than you might expect, have come here and settled. We share our art and literature. While we, achieve, while we achingly celebrate James Joyce now, it was different when he was alive. He was a determined British citizen then who came home for the last unhappy time in 1912 and then abjured his own country for the next 30 years. There was a time when virtually all major Irish writers, with the exception of W.B. Yeats, became English by choice or adoption. From Thomas More to Oscar Wilde, from George Bernard Shaw to George Moore, they departed with relief and to avoid suffocation. Artists did the same. Our greatest painter, William Orpen, doing it in spades, getting a knighthood, painting all the great leaders in the world, and like Joyce, not coming back to Ireland. A gallery full of artists followed Victor Waddington to London when he left Dublin, having lost a fortune trying to persuade Irish people to buy pictures. And when this trend involving artistic reliance on Britain died down a bit, writers like Sean O'Fuelon and Frank O'Connor, Porrick Collum and Ben Kiley turned to America. Britain, not Germany or France, is the natural home for Irish products, investment and people. The natural human instinct of the race, against the deep insecurity of the state and the Garda at the time, favoured the Queen of England when she came here. Mary helped that process and supported it. The Commonwealth issue is another matter, 
But what passes for axiomatic truth in respect of our neighbour island is the same for the largest Commonwealth members like Australia and Canada. We do have good relations with Commonwealth countries, and when young job seekers go for the same reason to America, it is like an extension of the Commonwealth idea, since for well over a century that country has held firmly to a special relationship with Britain based on a common language and geographical propinquity. Nor should we forget, in much darker times, that in the name of freedom, these countries joined in conflict aimed at preserving democracy, most notably of all in two world wars where Irish men and women distinguished themselves. We are shy of the emotional links, the language, the culture, the being Britishness of being British, and of other countries being linked more closely and more openly a far better thing than our own self-image, which is still plugged full of anglophobia, lack of self-confidence, embarrassment, and a heavy emphasis on historical slights and ancient sources of animosity. There are facts that reinforce the alternative view. Some 9.8 million people flew between the Republic and Britain in 2011. This is just under 186,000 a week. Contrast this figure with the overall traffic of Germans coming here, which is 8,000 per week. Why do these millions go to England? They go to work, to trade, to see their extended families, to mind their properties and financial interests, and perhaps to breathe the free air of a country with more Irish trading and other relationships than we have with any other race. In all of this, however, Irish Commonwealth membership remains an unresolved enigma. I will listen with keen interest to my long-standing friend. Let's hear from Mary. Thank you, Bruce, for that very, uh, very, very interesting talk and kind introduction. But as you know, the condom train went from Belfast to Dublin. <laughs> of course, it had to go to Belfast first, that's absolutely true. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I'm very honoured to be here, actually, at the wonderful Royal Irish Academy. Um, um, in 1948, um, we had a uh, High Commissioner in London called John Dulante, and he was a fascinating character. Unfortunately, he didn't leave a memoir, but he did... Uh, he, he, he did have a tremendous network of friends. He was, he was an Irishman who had been born in Manchester and a brilliant diplomat. He'd been friends with Winston Churchill since uh, 1906, when, as you know, Winston Churchill was a strong home ruler. He was a, 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 a part of the uh, Liberal Party. Um, but uh, he was also very good friends with... Uh, he knew the British royal family very well. He was very good friends with Queen Mary, who was, of course, George V's wife. Um, they shared a common interest in antiques. So whenever they were having lunch together, Mr. Giulanti would speak about antiques, and it was always a great success. He, he, he just had great charm. But he did... Um, the king knew him quite well. George VI knew him quite well. But he... Uh, uh, anyway, Mr. Giulanti went up to the king and said, you know, I'm... Like, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but Ireland's going to, Dublin's going to re declare a republic. And uh, consequently, Ireland will leave the Commonwealth. And the king turned around and said, very sadly, must you leave the family? Um, 
And one of his very good biographers, Sarah Bradford, said it, this, it really did upset George VI a lot. Uh, and he was more distressed about Ireland leaving the Commonwealth than he was about the events in India, which, of course, were extremely turbulent at the time. He, did, he, feel, he had been in Ireland as a as young boy with his brother back in the 1900s. He actually visited the grave of Parnell, interestingly, uh, at that time. Uh, subsequently, in the October of 1948, when it was actually becoming formalised, um, Mr. Delante was at a, a Buckingham Palace party, and uh, the king came up to him again and said, you know, um, it's such a pity that Ireland was about, that, that we, that's Delante's words, were about to leave a circle in which Britain and Ireland could help each other so much. Um, which, and, uh, and the king said, very sadly, now I shall never see Dublin. And uh, it, it was indeed a sad moment. Um, and uh, ironically, on this very day that I remember this, Tisha Kenny, no relation, is um, in London uh, talking to David Cameron. And he, you know, his theme would be those very, that very theme, how Britain and Ireland, being among the same circle, can help each other so much. In fact, of course, um, Enda Kenny is also trying to um, persuade uh, David Cameron not to leave the European Union. Uh, but David Cameron will, is, uh, is obliged to, to hold a referendum on this question. UKIP is a very strong force, I think, uh, on the ground in, in Great Britain at the moment. Um, so, you know, as we know, the Queen did come here in, 19, in, in 2011, and it was a, a, a tremendous success, a great success, so that George VI, the daughter, did fulfil what he couldn't fulfil. As we know, um, relations, uh, most of you will know here, be, uh, the subsequent 20 years after 1949, when, when the statute went through, um, <coughs> between the Republic of Ireland and Britain were not really very good. They were frosty. Um, and uh, the, the north of Ireland relations were very, very troubled because the northern Ireland reacted badly, really, to, to Ireland withdrawing from the Commonwealth. There had been quite a strong kind of liberal movement in northern Ireland to be more friendly with the south. There were more liberal unionists, but, of course, they drew back into their shells, as they always do, once there's a sort of anti-British uh, uh, regime in, in, in Dublin. Um, and, and so uh, relations were all really over the next 20 years and at the same time as Bruce has uh, mentioned about our present time too there was an enormous amount of emigration and Ireland didn't really benefit from the post-war uh, prosperity which was growing in Britain and of course in other parts of Europe at that time. Now I'm not um, advocating that Ireland should join, rejoin the Commonwealth immediately um, it's not my place to do so, actually. I feel that that should be a political and a democratic uh, decision. But I do feel that it's something we should talk about and we should be open to debate about much more. And as Bruce has, has said, it's not just that it's not discussed, but it is the elephant in the room all the time. You know, everybody knows that uh, in their heart and in through their own experiences, my God, look at Cheltenham today. Talk about a reverse imperial takeover. You know, I mean, there the Irish are, are running the place. Um, uh, everybody knows that relations between Britain and Ireland are terribly, terribly important and completely interlinked. Um, uh, so that, uh, but, but at the same time, the notion that uh, the common Ireland should be open or even discuss the Commonwealth is 
is, is, is always rejected and often ignored. Actually, I don't argue that we should be open to this on grounds just of relations with Britain. I really think we should be coming to it from a much more universalist point of view. And uh, Bruce mentioned um, that, uh, you know, I, 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 I rejected very much what Archbishop John Charles McQuaid had been saying in 1966. Notwithstanding that, I draw on very good deposits of my Catholic education. And one of the strong elements in a Catholic education is this notion of universality, is that we should be open to other countries and that we should be open to other cultures and we should build with, with other cultures. And heaven knows many, many Commonwealth countries throughout, citizens throughout the 54 nations of the Commonwealth will have had experience, uh, you know, of, of, of Irish, Irish missionary teachers, uh, uh, outreach of the Irish church. Um, I was at a, a women's, a women's um, uh, conference in Beijing uh, in the 1990s, and uh, international women, and uh, uh, one morning there was a, a, a religious service, a mass actually, for women who wanted to attend uh, religious service, and it was a beautiful mass. It was sung. The Africans mostly took over the music and sang this fun fantastic music. And afterwards, there was coffee. And it was fascinating that so many women from so many countries, which were Commonwealth countries, came up and said, "Yes, I had an Irish school teacher. You know, I remember Sister Bridget. You know, and 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 so on. And um, you know, worked in an Irish hospital with the medical missionaries of Mary, and so on. You could see those links absolutely penetrated through this." international community. And I think we should really, in this debate, raise awareness that uh, it isn't the Queen at the moment is head of the Commonwealth, Queen Elizabeth, but it is not the British Commonwealth anymore. It is the Commonwealth of Nations. And I think that's not really well understood. And paradoxically, it became the Commonwealth of Nations in 1949, just as Ireland left. And that it's not a conglomerate of post-imperialists, but a free association of, of these 54 countries dedicated to peace, to liberty, to free trade, and to the rule of law and to egalitarianism. Um, it, it represents 3% of the world of world trade, uh, 250 billion pounds a year is inter-commonwealth trading. Um, and these are dynamic countries in, the, in this Commonwealth of Nations. These are growing countries. The demographics here are not, as in Europe, if you like, where the demographics are uh, uh, aging societies and, to some extent, dying societies, whereas the demographics of the Commonwealth of Nations tend to be very dynamic and, 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 uh, and, and adventurous. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some time in the future China um, uh, 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 asked to be an associate member of the Commonwealth because I think China is very apt, uh, very, very uh, shrewd at seeing where all these growth areas in the world are. We should be aware, I think, too, of the Irish influence in originally converting, if you like, the British Empire into the Commonwealth. I mean, it was, an, it was a sort of uh, implied influence rather than a, a direct influence. But uh, Jan Smuts of South Africa, who was very, very interested in Irish relations, and indeed who wrote 
for the king, for King George V, with the king's own input, that very famous speech in Belfast in 1920, you know, when the king made a speech, which could have been made in the peace movement at any time, that the future of Ireland belongs to Irish men who must work together in peace and, 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 and cooperation and ecumenism, actually. Um, and John Smuts wrote that, uh, wrote much of that speech. But he was aware of Irish sensitivities towards the notion of British Empire, although in parenthesis many Irish people served in the British Empire, nevertheless he was aware of that and uh, he was uh, he was really instrumental in changing the name to the British Commonwealth, which then became the Commonwealth of Nations. So he was he was instrumental, and I, Lloyd George and and uh, and I think the King King George V were um, very supportive of that, of making it a more universalist, and of, mo and of actually, let's face it, moving with the times. So in fact, that statutory change was implemented first with the Anglo-Irish Treaty of 1921. That was the first time it changed from being the British Commonwealth to the Commonwealth, to the British Empire, to the British Commonwealth subsequently to become the Commonwealth of Nations. So Irish influence there was underneath the surface, and I know a little bit about this, because <clears throat> I wrote a play about um, Winston Churchill and Michael Collins meeting together in, privately in 1921, and incidentally, it's on at Ballina and uh, Athlone this week, if anybody is interested in seeing it. It's called Allegiance. Um, and it's been touring, uh, that play, and actually got a terrific uh, ovation in um, the actors, very, very good, Rory Mor Moran, senior and junior, uh, in Oma, where we had um, people from both sides of the political divide came along to that play and were, were very, very interested in the whole notion of this kind of Anglo-Irish dialogue based on, the, on the, the troubles of 1921, but also the reconciliation of 1921, which uh, eventually has to, took place. I believe very much that small nations need global friends. It's very, very important um, for a whole number of reasons. I mean, not just if you, small nations and island nations may become insular if they are too much um, wrapped up in their own uh, problems all the time. They need a, an outlook to a bigger world. And, it's, it's, uh, and, and that's a very enriching part of a sense of universality. Um, I disapprove very much I thought that uh, Andrew Kenny made a big mistake. Actually, I think it was the Thornish who uh, drove this, Emin Gilmore, when they decided last year to close down the Irish embassy at the Holy See. Now, I understood why they did it. They wanted to make a protest the, uh, against Rome, which had not handled the, uh, the, the, the clerical scandals about child abuse, uh, uh, compassionately, to say the least. Um, nevertheless, I thought from a political point of view, not from a religious point of view, but from a political point of view, it was a mistake. The Holy See is a fantastic network. It's a world network. 80 listening posts throughout the world. Just as Ireland was withdrawing, Russia was upping its status with the Holy See because Russia knows that this is an important network. Networks are what makes the world go round. You know, I'm a veteran journalist now. Often young people write to me and say, how do you get to be a journalist? You know, I've sent 80 emails. I said, I say, don't send 80 emails. Go out and network. 
talk to people, join clubs, you know, see people. That's how relations are built up through human contact throughout the world. And that is why I think we should be open to discussing the Commonwealth of Nations. Maybe a more a flexible approach, such as an associate membership. It's possible. All things are possible. But all I say is... Uh, just discuss it, just let's talk about it, and just let make people aware that it's not a form of British imperialism. It is a, a globalised, wonderfully open, diverse, uh, and culturally stimulating association, which is also, you know, very much uh, dedicated to very good ideals, like development and trade and, and, and the rule of law and peace. Um, I mentioned uh, Cheltenham actually earlier, whereas, which I always think is a very, very interesting example, really, of uh, of informal Anglo-Irish relations, because it's, it's it's a great occasion. <clears throat> and uh, I, I do believe that uh, actually that wherever the horse is involved, relations are always better between peoples in general. And when Queen Elizabeth, when she came here in 2011, I was. Uh, fortunate enough to be at a, a, a reception which the British ambassador had arranged and I met her and I was with a group of writers and I was introduced by Colm Tobin and uh, Colm Tobin said uh, Your Majesty this is Mary Kenny, this is one of our writers and uh, uh, I, <coughs> I said I said to her yeah, well ma'am I, I hope you saw some nice Irish horses today and such a smile spread on her face because she had been to see the National Stud. And um, she said, I saw some wonderful Irish horses today. She was obviously really thrilled. So she did fulfill at least that dream that George VI, her father, had to renounce. So I say, let's, let's be open to discussion about Ireland's relations and Ireland's openness to the Commonwealth. And maybe we should... Uh, start the proceedings at the National Stud. Thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you, Mary, very much. And I think one of the points you picked up, which has come over in our previous meetings, is how much the Commonwealth has changed since we left it a long time ago. It's over 60 years, 65 years, that it's a radically different organization um, the role of the Queen is marginal, it's peripheral. She doesn't interfere with the running and decision-making of the Commonwealth. Uh, she's a figurehead, and I would suggest a very good one too, to be honest. Um, at our last meeting, which is in Trinity, someone raised the point, and I think it's a very good one, which is, look, if people in this country, in Ireland, knew how the Commonwealth has changed since we left it, they might change their attitude a little bit more about it and not consider perhaps various historical slights that predominate uh, in thinking. I think that, that, that's the main point about the Commonwealth. It's a totally different organisation to what it used to be. 32 republics. Um, Bruce, would you like to say anything before we stop? Are you happy with uh, what's been said? Or I would just would I you have anything like to, to say? Yes, that, I would like to say um, yeah. one thing. The sad thing about um, the, the Commonwealth interest in this country is that it has no political dimension. 
the only po the only politician, the only elected politician, the only elected person present is a non-party uh, person at this meeting. You would think that uh, it would attract some interest from uh, politicians, and until that happens, the idea of uh, entering into a campaign for uh, membership of the Commonwealth uh, is. Um, worthy only of debate, and the debate is outside the political arena. I think we'll, if we may pack it in, I want to say thank you very much, Mary, for coming here. Go and have a little bit of lunch. Thank you, Bruce.